Jeremy Allaire, and welcome to The Money Movement, a show where we explore the issues and ideas driving this brave new world of digital currency and blockchains. So over the past months, we've seen surging use of USDC and stable coins in what we think of as kind of crypto markets activity. Uh, but we've also seen rapidly increasing use uh, in a variety of different international payments and settlement use cases. More and more businesses who are realizing the benefits of digital currency as a payment and settlement medium. Um, and, and USDC in particular is, is, is noteworthy in its, its, its use in those international activities. Dollars settle most of the world's trade transactions today. And businesses that conduct trade and conduct commerce and have partners or suppliers or employees or others that are around the world are finding that stable coins are a, a, a new, a, a fundamentally new way to settle those types of transactions. Now, just payments and settlement is a piece of the puzzle. The real power of, of digital currencies that are on chain, uh, such as stable coins, is in their uh, programmability and their composability, that you have this native digital dollar token and um, developers can write code uh, on blockchains uh, that enable more uh, complex forms of economic contracts and interactions to happen uh, on these public networks. We're, we're, we're seeing this today in the world of decentralized finance or DeFi, where smart contract-based protocols are enabling things like borrowing and lending on blockchains. And I think for many businesses and for many um, uh, institutions, deeper integration of this infrastructure with real world economic contracts is fundamentally the next phase of growth. Uh, the maturity of this in payment settlement and capital markets use cases is also really powerful and important. But at the core, the real innovation is how can uh, businesses that operate are in this age of internet commerce connect and contract with each other in powerful new ways. So trade finance, uh, which is the sort of complex web of financial arrangements that undergird global trade and commerce, is a whopping big space. Uh, trillions of dollars of value move through trade finance uh, to make the world economy go. So it's a whopping big space and we're starting to see uh, USDC and DeFi protocols themselves find their way into trade finance and this, this more core form of commerce uh, that happens in the world today. So to explore these themes uh, this week, we're joined by Ernst & Young's Paul Brody, who is their principal for blockchain technology, where he's been helping spearhead new core supply chain finance infrastructure and other uh, forms of on-chain uh, commercial infrastructure with OpsChain uh, by uh, Hong Zhuang Lim, the founder and CEO of Shuttle One, an emerging fintech out of Southeast Asia, leveraging stablecoins and DeFi for trade finance, and Centrifuge founder Lucas Vogelsang, whose firm has been driving innovation in the synthesis of traditional assets such as invoices and DeFi money market protocols. 
I'd like to first welcome uh, Ernst and Young's Paul Brody back to the show. Uh, hello, Paul. It's great to see you and great to have you back on the show. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, obviously, uh, maybe we can start. Um, just talk a little bit about your role at Ernst and Young um, and, 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 and at a high level, kind of the, the thesis that you've been driving at Ernst & Young, and then we'll drive into to more on, uh, on, on some of the specific work in this area. Perfect. Yeah, so uh, I'm the global blockchain leader at EY, and that really means my job, my vision is to drive all in, in a coordinated manner, all of the things that EY does in the world of blockchain. I don't control everything, but my goal is to sort of think about the big strategic solutions that we bring to the market. So uh, audit, assurance, tax, and business applications, and shepherd them all kind of in the same direction. And um, the thesis, the central thesis that we have uh, is very simple. It's that blockchains will do for business ecosystems what ERP did inside the enterprise. And let me just unpack that for a little bit because it, it's, a, it's a mouthful, but it, it really explains kind of how we've come to think about this. Enterprises over the last 30 or 40 years have become very sophisticated internally. They've got MES systems, manufacturing systems, they've got ERP, which tracks kind of business process tools uh, uh, and shared data. Right. And then on top of that, they got planning and scheduling. And then above that, they often have kind of analytics tools and machine learning systems. And yet the minute a really sophisticated company wants to do business with another company, all that digital sophistication gets boiled down to let's send them by email a PDF document. Right. It kind of collapses. Right. And uh, the reason that uh, large enterprises don't have more sophisticated tools is because they don't have something they can trust. There are, there are great ways to manage complex multi-party systems with mm -hmm. shared business logic and shared facts, but none of them until blockchain allowed you to do so without handing out really strategic information to whoever's operating that digital interaction hub. And that makes them way too powerful. A lot so of our vision is- Risk basically. Exactly, and our vision for, for blockchain is, this is finally a way for companies to interact with each other as part of an ecosystem, right? And by the way, this includes payment, right? That's the whole cycle, right? right? Uh, in a genuinely level playing field where you're not at risk of becoming disadvantaged. Yeah, I, I mean, it's such, a, it's such a breakthrough in terms of how enterprises can contract with each other, interact with each other, communicate with each other, but obviously at the core, right? It's about settling transactions. So you guys have pioneered and you've and you've uh, begun rolling out OpsChain. And, um, you know, from from what I've read and understand, um, this is a very comprehensive set of uh, kind of on-chain infrastructure that reflects this, the, these new possibilities. Um, you know, where are you with that rollout? And, um, and, and just just maybe talk at a very high level about the kind of capabilities that are part of OpsChain. So if you think about how uh, two companies interact with each other, right? And, and you see this all the time, right? I've got money, you've got stuff, and we're gonna exchange that, my, my money for your stuff, right? And we're gonna exchange that subject to some terms and conditions, right? Uh, volume discounts or payment upon delivery and things like that. So uh, the things that, that really sort of challenge enterprises is uh, to manage the terms and conditions. They're good at negotiating these deals, 
they're not always good at applying the rules, right? Mm -hmm. We're using smart contracts in ops chain, we can allow you to do things like set up your purchase order, set up your, your volume discounts, and we can make sure that every time you do the volume discount, every time you do a purchase order, you get the best discount you're entitled to. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, the, the, the closing the loop, the thing that, that, that's most challenging and is least mature is, okay, we have a contract, we have an agreement, I've sent you a purchase order, right? You sent me product now, you sent me an invoice and I need to pay you, right? And this is where uh, uh, I would say we are least mature and have the most uh, high expectations and excitement about what Circle is doing and the role of stable coins. Yeah. Because enterprises don't wanna settle transactions at Bitcoin. Now that, that's not because they hate Bitcoin or it's not because Bitcoin is terrible. It's not because cryptocurrencies are bad. It's because cryptocurrencies are foreign currencies. Right. My revenue, my taxes, my employee pay, that's all in dollars. Right. Contracts so are I like to, dollars, right? Exactly. So I want to keep my transaction denominated in dollars. Yeah. So this this set of like this kind of set of use cases with ops chain, um, you know, this is really kind of drilling into trade finance, um, these complex intercompany economic arrangements. Um uh, Obviously, you know, the, the, you, you've mentioned here the, the kind of role of stable coins, um, but, you know, where do you see that? Um, you know, what are the, the use cases where you see, um, you know, uh, stable coins embedded in ops chain based, um, you know, smart contract applications? So my goal is to make stable coin. I, I, I envision two things. Number one, I want us to see this kind of closing of the loop with stable coin based payments. Yeah. Right. Secondly, and I think fundamentally, even more importantly, I want to see enterprise DeFi. I heard you talking about DeFi kind of in our uh, in your opening conversation. DeFi is a huge deal because in reality, uh, yes, if a big company like EY, you know, buys something or we get an invoice from, from another humongous company, we don't need trade finance. We don't need working capital. Right. We're a huge company. We got great credit. That's not a problem. That's not true for the vast majority of companies. They need working capital. They need insurance. And today they're probably paying far too much for it. So mm -hmm. I believe the thing that gets me really excited is properly programmable, privacy enabled DeFi for enterprises. That's mm -hmm. what I want to see with dollar stable coins or euro right. stable coins, yen stable coins, right. all of those things. It's like in, you know, decentralized invoice capital markets that exist on chain that every business can participate in, in, in a, in a, in a seamless way around the world. Right. If you get a purchase order from EY and we have perfect credit, right? You should be able to get working capital financing to support serving EY at a, at a, at an interest rate price that reflects the quality of our credit and our ability to pay as a global corporation, not your tiny little local business where you would have paid 10 or 15% and we would have paid 0.25%. Right. So kind of, this is sort of technically becoming, the, 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 the building blocks are sort of becoming possible today. And there's obviously a lot of experimentation. You're rolling out, you know, significant things blockchain infrastructure self improving very, very fast layer one and, 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 and DeFi um, uh, implementations, you know, if you had to imagine two to three years in the future, you know, maybe just through the lens of, of what you're building at ENY, what, what do you envision? I mean, obviously you've just, you've given us a little bit of color on some of the things that you envision, but 
Um, what do you see happening with enterprises themselves uh, adopting this and adopting stablecoins on chain in these economic contracts? So uh, I, I foresee a couple of things. So first and foremost, the most important thing for me is this will only take off if the blockchain ecosystem invests in privacy, right? No corporation is going to spend a penny on a DeFi system or anything that doesn't give them privacy. And right now, today, stablecoins, DeFi, none of these services support privacy. So that's job number one. That's my number one priority. Right. So, so not, not to beat a dead horse, but let me, you know, flog privacy some more. And, and there's a lot of privacy challenges to work out because as you, if, if I issue a purchase order from ENY, right. I want you to be able to get credit against that purchase order, but I don't want you to tell, I don't want you necessarily to tell everybody that you have a PO from EY. Right. Right. Or for the amount. So we need to find a way to do credit rating and other right. things under privacy in yeah. that environment. So that's that's one piece of this. Uh, I think the second piece of this is we've got to figure out security. Today, DeFi is a little bit of a cesspool from a security perspective. Right. There's there's a lot of hacks happening and that does not scare me. It should not scare you. That is a normal part of a maturing ecosystem. Yeah. But Enterprises prefer to be at the back of that. They want to. They want to come behind. So we yep. need to. We need to mature security. One of our big pushes is we have a system called Smart Contract Review, which is designed to address security issues and help companies manage them. Yeah. And then I think the third thing is I believe there's a sweet spot where enterprises will start, and it's direct materials procurement at the business network level. And what I'm talking about here is manufacturing companies that buy routinely from global sourcing multi from multiple suppliers and they have decentralized manufacturing which means they've got um suppliers in, in in different parts of the world that they're subcontracting to what that means is that your manufacturer in say malaysia needs to be able to buy on your behalf and at your discount the raw materials you've negotiated. So that's what we mean when we talk about like network operations. That's what I think is 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 the the sweet spot in terms of creating value, right? So security and privacy are essential requirements, but the the decentralized structure of the system is what will get I think companies to spend the money and to do yeah. the work. As always, Paul, uh, incredible perspective. Really excited to see the progress you guys are making and, and, and really appreciate you joining us uh, to, to share your, your perspective today. Thank you, Paul. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for having me on, letting me ramble on. It, it's always a pleasure. Uh, what you guys are doing is very, very important, right? We, we need this payment mechanism. We need programmable fiat currencies. So uh, uh, we are very appreciative of what we see uh, Circle doing. Thank you so much. All right. Have, have, a great, uh, have a great day. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, our, our next guest is uh, Shuttle One founder and CEO, Hong Ziwang uh, Lim, who joins us from Singapore. Thank you so much for joining in the middle of the night. I deeply appreciate it. Uh, where he and his startup have been hammering away at real world uses of stable coins in trade finance having deployed some of the very first uses in the world. It's uh, really a pleasure to have you on the show, Ziwang. Thank you and honor. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So maybe we can start just briefly, you know, tell us about the history of Shuttle One and, and, and how you got into this uh, and, and working in this problem space. 
So Shadow One has been a startup. Uh, we are based in Singapore for about two years. We were founded uh, as a group of friends at the end of 2018, um, and we saw a very clear need at the at the height of crypto winter, right? I, I guess you know, and this clear need was there was a lot of promises of the blockchain, the technology, stable coins was just coming out, but there was no real world use case. <laughs> it wasn't impacting, you know, um, many many you know forces of life that you know, the, 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 the blockchain technology is supposed to, to function. So we decided to do something very simple from the onset. And that was just building Fiat on and off ramps um, yeah. for the Southeast Asian countries like Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, Thailand, uh, and so on. So um, with, that, with that in place, uh, and, 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 and one of our first few transactions to Indonesia, to IDR, was actually a remittance from Malaysia to... Um, Indonesia, uh, utilizing uh, 400, I think it was 452 cents, uh, $400 of USDC. Nice. Uh, and it was done. And it was done in a matter of like 13 minutes, yeah. uh, which is unheard of in, in, the, re in the remittance space um, and, 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 and end to end in that sense, right? So from there, we, we decided to branch out into, you know, what are the more impactful um, use cases that could be so we started looking at, you know, real assets, things like uh, your trade financing, cargo. Um, we were fortunate enough to work with some of the government entities around the region uh, that supports uh, global uh, supply chains. Uh, we work with ports now and programmable money such as, you know, the stable coins, uh, USDC, for example, we are able to capture off-chain data. So yeah. things like your port data, things like your risk management data, bring them on chain and interact with a virtual currency like USDC um, to make certain disbursements for trade finance and, you know, make the financial services uh, seamless uh, and, and very straightforward in that sense. Yeah. It's very, very cool. And I, I know you've been at the sort of cutting edge of this. Maybe just walk through like an end-to-end -end use case for stable coins in these trade use cases tied to, you know, the, the, you know, kind of ports and shipping activity, like get maybe very, very specific about like an end-to-end -end use case. Absolutely. And maybe, maybe since we are in the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, I'll, 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 I'll bring up a, an example uh, awesome. that I'm very proud of. So one of these things that came along um, in, in, in the months of April, May, June till now, actually, uh, especially during the early early uh, onset of the pandemic, um, a lot of these small and medium-sized enterprises. I mean, Paul, Paul mentioned earlier on that, that corporations no problem with credit. You know, everybody's going to fund them. But the SMEs, right, the, the small and medium-sized businesses, you know, cash flow financing is a lifeline. And before the pandemic, we are already having big issues with you know such such uh, SME financing in that sense. So. At the early stages of the pandemic, you know, when, when people are trying to secure masks, gloves, PPEs, you know, especially for maybe China or production houses like Indonesia or, or, or Thailand, right? Um, and when they fall below the credit line, you know, that's always an issue. So we had many instances um, from, 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 from April where the merchant are able to take a loan uh, on the blockchain, on the internet, if I may, pay, uh, their suppliers, uh, which they you know instruct the uh, the the smart contracts, right? Which is it's all powered by infrastructure of smart contracts. Mm. Who they want to pay, say in China or in Thailand, for example, mm. 
and the supply gets paid, they secure their supplies, all right? And because we work with some of the biggest ports around in Southeast Asia, they are able to arrange for logistics, you know, and move these supplies um, uh, and, 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 and in, in, in quick fashion in that sense, uh, which, that, which, which maintains certain business continuity. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is important, you know, for SMEs, for their communities uh, where they serve. We serve a lot of merchants who are in rural areas of Indonesia, for example. Mm -hmm. right? and, and these things cannot be late. Uh, some of these supplies cannot stop. And, you know, being efficient in, you know, um, financing, uh, being efficient because of uh, 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 in payments, you know, um, does make a big difference during this period of time. That's pretty powerful. So you're, you're using, um, you know, uh, essentially, uh, I don't know if it's truly oracleized, uh, like port data uh, to, to, you know, uh, communicate the, you know, the sort of movement of goods, provide underwriting based on that, provide credit in the form of stable coins to, you know, kind of uh, uh, provide forward capital to kind of move goods uh, to, the, to the next phase. So oh, yeah, right. Maybe maybe I can expound a little bit on, on that port data side. So we tokenize the port data. We have a process innovation that ties the on-chain uh, risk management to the off-chain processes uh, risk management. And with these two combined, and with the efficiency of stable coins and, and digital assets, you know, that creates you know, stability uh, in, in this whole trade. And when I mean stability, it actually reduces the, the level of trust that is needed, you know, maybe without, without the blockchain technologies, without programmable money in that sense, all right? And it allows the trade to be more straightforward and, 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 and efficient. So, so, so that's, how, that's how we are doing, you know, um, capturing data, there's, there's operational data, tokenizing those data and making sure that uh, uh, the risks involved are, are well mitigated. That's, that's, uh, that's awesome. Um, so as you, um, as you sort of look out and, and what you're building, um, you know, you're, you're, you're obviously implementing processes and using technologies that, that are new, both in trade and commerce and in the financial system, you know, what are the barriers that you see, um, especially within the Southeast Asia market? Um, what are the barriers that you see to this having much wider or broader adoption? I think in Southeast Asia, we're always a little bit behind um, in terms of, you know, the the, the thought process or developments of, of the West in that sense, right? So we don't know what we don't know. And this includes a lot of the departments that we uh, interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think awareness um, is always, you know, the, uh, the, the first hurdle. Uh, we spend a lot of time lobbying, you know, educating, you know, creating awareness, not just for um, the people that work immediately with us, you know, but also their stakeholders. So mm -hmm. they, that, that could include their operational partners and stuff. Um, but I don't, I don't think that's the biggest uh, hurdle. I think one of the, the key hurdles um, could be always uh, regulatory, yeah. right? Um, it's still gray in most parts of, uh, I think, Southeast Asia. I'm based in Singapore. We have a law for digital assets or uh, what we like to call digital payment tokens. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in, we call it crypto, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, it's, it's taboo words like that, right? That uh, you know, we, we, we don't talk about crypto publicly, but you know, everybody knows that it's, it's, it's virtual assets, you know, uh, crypto on you know, using the blockchain. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think regulatory is also a big hurdle. And I think lastly, um, I think great UI uh, and an awesome UX is, is, is missing. 
uh, we build a lot of a lot of these smart contracts are you know in the background right it's behind it's powering something like yeah. smart contracts power software that are you know almost as old as me almost 36 37 you know years old and they're still using that so these are the main challenges um i, I think and we need great user experience uh, uh for 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 mass adoption i think even for on the enterprise side you know for them to understand how this works in that sense yeah, I mean, I think um, I see that the regulatory piece, the user experience piece, and then obviously the, the sort of scalability and efficiency of these of these underlying platforms, which which I think I think is being addressed, uh, you know, more more and more. Um, it's very very helpful, Ziwang. I, I really appreciate you you know joining to share the shuttle one story and and how you're solving problems uh, with stable coins in trade and. In, in Southeast Asia, really deeply appreciate you joining us in the middle of the night again. So <laughs> it's all so. good. Thank, thank you very much for, for the opportunity and, um, you know, for, for the stage that you have given us. I think, I mean, Circle has done a great job with USDC uh, and, and it's one of the most efficient, I would say, stable coins that we use for remittance and trade financing uh, in our ecosystem right now. That's great to hear. Awesome. Have a, have a great rest of your night. Thank you, Jeremy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Absolutely. So I, I think, uh, you know, building on this conversation uh, with Zi Wang, um, we're now joined by Centrifuge founder and CEO, uh, Lucas uh, Vogelsang. Welcome, Lucas. Hi. Thank you. You're, Hi, you're in your hotel. You're, you're, uh, you're safe. Yeah, probably the last, well, probably the last conference for a while, yes. Ah, okay. What city are you in now? I was actually in, I'm in Frankfurt, and funnily enough, they did the Crypto Assets Conference, which is a very actually pretty well regarded, more on the enterprise regulatory side um, conference that they did the first iteration this year in in March, right before things started getting bad. And I guess now actually getting shut down again. <laughs> Germany's getting shut down again, so they did get did get it in again right before so yeah it was a, a funny um funny coincidence or not so funny coincidence actually, yeah but. yeah well i I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're in, in a good place um but look i i've been following centrifuge for a while um uh, i think you're, you're obviously working on some some you know very related areas here but maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself um and your journey into this um just to set, sort of set the stage yeah so um Maybe my, like, I think there's two sort of uh, things I was like to talk about when, like specifically do my journey into Centrifuge. Um, maybe a bit of my past life and my co-founder's past life is that actually we um, built a fairly large traditional fintech in San Francisco, a company called Talia that pioneered a specific piece of the, I would say, I call it like trade finance or like sort of enterprise there's a B2B lending space. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, Talia um, pioneered this idea that the um, financing opportunities to your entire supply chain by um, so working together with the bank, um, getting a line of credit from them, and then offering that, um, at giving a, an alternative to these companies uh, to go into what traditionally are very uh, complicated and expensive factoring businesses. Mm -hmm. And so Talia, um, to, to date, I think they're, they're averaging uh, financing around 30 billion a year, originating 30 billion in loans. And um, 
are doing um, that for 150 of the global 2000 companies. And so maybe just super quickly, um, this, for example, Toyota is one of their customers. Uh, they, Toyota offers some of their smallest and some of their largest suppliers a, uh, a, a, a chance to get an early payment at the click of a button and that using either Toyota's own cash or um, third party cash to, to do this. And so this is where we came from. So sort of we got to know the B2B banking and finance world really well. And we saw what it looked like both for the largest and the smallest businesses in the world. And um, sort of based on that actually, so then 2007, end of 2017, beginning 2018, we started sitting back together at a table, figuring out, okay, like, well, what would the next iteration of Italia be? What would the next FinTech be? If, um, if we were to talk about blockchain and crypto, think, okay, how could this technology be adopted? And at the time, I think DeFi, DeFi became a maybe somewhat common word in like a half a year later or, or even later. Um, but really like it was, Maker was a thing, like Dharma Protocol was sort of just coming up, I think. Like, yeah, it was about half a dozen projects that were. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Was like the concept. When, are, when, when was Circle actually founded? We were actually founded in 2013. Okay, good. So you guys were actually, I, I, I don't remember when I first heard about you, but yeah, I mean, it is, it, it was a, it was a small space. We were thinking of, okay, how do we, how do we find um, a way that actually real businesses, the yeah. ones that we knew that wants to be worked with that had huge need for capital could actually access the liquidity that existed in blockchain. And, and what Paul Brody said earlier on, um, well, businesses don't want to pay for invoices in Bitcoin, obviously very right. true. And so we started thinking about working with, using stable coins to finance loans. Yep. And so sort of fast forward to where we are today, actually then we quite soon realized that a sort of large missing piece in this chain from invoice or house or sort of asset to financing is actually that DeFi today is not made to scale to the single non-fungible asset level. Mm -hmm. And so these, these assets are, they have an independent, independent due date that you can't really cut them up. You can bundle them, but right. like, it's by a themselves. specific thing. It's like an invoice yeah, exactly. from a company. It's, it's, there's one of those. Yeah. So we were actually some of the first people to think of, oh, NFTs are the thing to yeah. use for representing real world assets. Yeah. But then exactly invoice NFT, which is sort of, we pushed that out as a sort of first experiment yeah. in 2018. But the problem was actually DeFi while everyone loves to use NFTs and think of how to do them, the, the governance and sort of the scalability is not there to do that for individual invoices. And so we started building a securitization layer on top of that. So having a way that you can bundle these invoices, pool them and have investors invest in these pools, getting a blended return, getting sort of a diversified portfolio. And now this much more liquid, larger asset class is actually what you can interface with, a, with an Aave, for example, or a, a MakerDAO. And yeah. so that's what uh, the product is that we're building now with Tin Lakes, like allowing real world assets, trade finance with a large focus, but also others to be financed using DeFi liquidity settled in stable coins. It's, uh, it's extremely cool. Um, so this, this sort of uh, intersection of, you know, quote unquote, real world assets using DeFi mechanisms like liquidity pools, you know, uh, even even AMMs on NF liquidity pools of 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 these NFT based real world assets, stablecoin settlement, right? It it sort of creates decentralized markets for essentially decentralized money markets for these externalized uh, you know forms of assets. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's 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 very very interesting. Um, how are how are people using it? Like, what are some of the first um, use cases that you're seeing? Yeah, so we've been um, live with um, sort of this the first version of Tin Lake since May. We actually just last week launched the second major iteration. Technically, it's version three because we did some of the very earliest uh, transactions with a, our really first version together with the Maker Foundation uh, back in uh, summer uh, last year. And so we are the first iteration we launched, uh, the second iteration we launched on mainnet public product release um, in in May. And sort of the usage has been in, still very small. It's like super early, but um, I can just name a few. For example, Console Freight is a freight forwarder technology company. They manage, uh, they're building tools to allow freight forwarders and, and buyers to coordinate the delivery of goods, sort of settle these shipping transactions. So they have invoices, they have data, they have customer relationships. And these businesses, like almost every other business in the world, do have a need for capital. And a lot of times, like working capital is a, a thing that they would like, like to use as a source to get liquidity when they need it. And so console freight's in the ideal business, in the ideal position to offer that service. And instead of building out this finance product using a bank line of credit or some credit hedge fund as a source of capital, they were visionary enough and sort of believed in crypto and DeFi enough that they said, actually, if I can tap into the liquidity in DeFi in the long run, I'll be able to have a source of capital that isn't just one source of capital where I depend on one bank and I'm subject to whatever the system is they have, whatever the underwriting criteria, the slowness of the process, but actually I can offer my credit, my, my debt or my debt, actually not my credit, my debt to whoever is interested. And so that could be a maker DAO, that could be money markets, that could be you and me that just want to have exposure to this asset class. And so that's, that's the vision for these users is to get this like super flexible, dynamic um, line of credit, essentially like use DeFi as their line of credit to start originating these loans. Um, and so Console Freight is an example, they finance over hundred loans. Um, I think they did around 700,000 DAI in originations. Um, so they're using, uh, using DAI to settle these loans. And um, they, they've sort of done this, I think, in, um, in three pools so far. And they've now just um, last week, we're, we're also um, one of our early, um, actually the first uh, ones on the new release that we just released and sort of started a revolving pool that has now grown to uh, 300 DAI in size. So they, they have around $300,000 uh, in, in money that they are originating, growing that over time. And so that's, uh, for that's what's uh, maybe a quick summary of what's been happening yeah, yeah. in the that last month. That's awesome. That's, uh, I mean, connecting the dots to, to like really making this happen for people is, is really exciting. I mean, obviously like we can, we can see where this is sort of headed at, at a high level, but you know, as this, as this grows, like, you know, who stands to benefit the most from this and, and who stands to lose the most from this, assuming this gets to scale in the coming years. So what I, what I always think of um, crypto is like the, the, thing that people always see is that it can disintermediate a whole bunch of things, right? And I think in, in trade finance and in just a lot of debt, that is actually where um, we can get to a point where the person the providing the liquidity and the person requiring the liquidity now move that much closer, right? And that 
in the end will result in like hopefully more interest for more 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 yield for the investor, but also a lower rate for um, for the borrower. And and I think like sort of that's that is what the like transparency and the openness of the deep uh, the Ethereum ecosystem and then by by extension the DeFi ecosystem that came through it, I think it sort of has it ingrained in in the in this in this idea right like if there is like this is transparent and if there is an opportunity that could be arbitrage or that could be removed then you you can do that and I think that is ultimately what stands these businesses both investors to benefit the most the ones that I think will be ultimately left behind are the large institutions today that are not willing to <clears throat> really optimize their process, right? The companies that today uh, are happy to pay to pay half or uh, charge half a percent for a Google bond, a bond that Google issues, but at the same at the same time, say a small business needs to pay fifteen percent APR on their on their uh, trade finance assets. The yeah. credit risk is not 30 times more. So the the reason this discrepancy is here as well because mm -hmm. uh, it's scale inefficiency yeah. of process, right? This this concept I use this a lot. Like you know, um, the internet is is incredible at building these multi-sided marketplaces, multi-sided platforms that that allow like a very very long tail of participants to 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 get involved very, very efficiently, whether that's like, I'm a tennis instructor and I'm gonna bid on ads, and I'm gonna find the right person through AdWords, like this auction marketplace, or you know, the, the, obviously the original example of eBay, but like marketplace platforms let the long tail participants have the same level of reach, the same level of access as, as the biggest, right? And we haven't had like platform marketplaces on the internet in financial markets and what blockchain does and 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 you know DeFi and decentralized markets right is it it creates that 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 level playing field right and it, and it makes it efficient even at that small business scale to participate in debt markets whatever they might be in in a way that you know in a human intermediated world where you've got you know loan officer looking at you know books and records and so on it's just a different it's a different uh, it's a it's just not not feasible economically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's that's really what's happening. I mean, the re I think the reason why is right that I mean, maybe maybe you could say peer to peer lending and then crowdfunding were like were some of the technological or like more like product inventions that started breaking down these barriers of like large institutional banks. But really, still, there's like so much red tape around around yeah. that that it hasn't done the. It, it hasn't been the 10x improvement uh, where I, I agree with you, crypto DeFi is the place where, where we now see that actually this could um, enable this yeah, yeah. this marketplace for, for financial assets. Yeah, um, we, we hope and pray. Now, in all seriousness, it, it, it's, it's sort of happening with an incredible pace. I, you know, there are barriers, obviously, like there's all, I mean, we're, we're both entrepreneurs, we're trying to build this and we're running up against the inertia of the existing institutional frameworks the existing regulatory frameworks the you know all this kind of stuff what what do you see as like the when you think about the biggest barriers that that are in the way uh for what you're doing what do you see i think so i mean <laughs> i need to make sure that i don't start just complaining about fiat on and off ramp costs um <laughs> we can and, help. Uh, sort of usability out there i know i know and i mean I mean, I think sort of when, but when you do start inter interfacing with the real world, 
um, you have regulatory issues. And I mean, if I, if, if people would know like the legal bills involved in trying to innovate in both within the legal framework and the technical side, then like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a sad story. But the other, um, <laughs> the other uh, thing that I do think is extremely important as well, like as long as we're sort of operating at this bridge between, or at this intersection between real world and, and, and crypto, yeah. a key thing is just making this on and off ramp really easy and fast. It's not just the cost, but also the speed, right? And so like when we, were, when we started doing these first like real, real businesses that never owned any stable coins any before, like never really had a significant amount of crypto. Um, the, I could, I mean, I, I was looking at, okay, like how do we solve this problem for our users where like they pay upwards of like half a percent for buying their, buying their crypto and, and sort of then how do they keep them safe um, and all that. Right. And then, so I, I mean, for, for a, for a small business, yeah. I dream of a time where actually I can have a bank account and, whether my money is in crypto or yeah. whether I write a check somewhere or send a wire, it, it doesn't matter, right? And I can do both from the same balance because yeah, as soon as I have to think of my money being in crypto or out of crypto, yeah. it's it's a hassle. It's like actually like I have this problem that now suddenly I have a liquidity crunch on yeah. one side or the other, and that's that's yeah. I, I think we're 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 moving inevitably to a digital currency first treasury operation kind of world, right? Where you know, probably start with SMEs. It's not going to start with uh, you know Ford Motor Company or or, or BMW, right? It's going to, you know, it's going to start with SMEs to go. I want to keep my working capital in in stable coins. I'm going to I'm going to participate in yield. I'm going to have like the fastest first party payments that I've ever had. And yeah, I can interface with wires and 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 other things, and I can do that on demand. I can do that at the same cost and efficiency as as people who are entirely in that but i'm inheriting all these these benefits that are there and um yeah i mean we're, we're we're excited about that and then once you're there and people can interface with you know DeFi markets and other protocols and uh and whatnot i i think businesses will say this is just so much superior it's sort of like people moving from you know uh the running their own data centers to using cloud services i mean like you know it's insane when you think about like the number of businesses that had like all these, you know, racks and racks of stuff that they're doing. Right. And, and so everyone's pretty much cloud first if you're, you know, in, in most businesses now. Right. So yeah. it seems like we're inevitably headed there. Um, yeah. yeah. But it is a barrier. <laughs> it is definitely a barrier. And that's one we're, we're working very, very hard to, uh, to knock down. Um, I guess like looking out a little bit, um, you know, what does mainstream adoption look like in this, in, in, in broader global commerce in the next like two to three years from your perspective? So I think, and, and this is maybe also like a learning of the three-ish three years or more now that I've been in crypto, um, is that just sort of thinking of the user, we went with the, with what you would probably call the multiplier, right? Sort of the, the way we started building these pools, how we allowed users to actually access liquidity is unfortunately not going directly to the business today because sadly for them to start dealing in crypto, it's still a bit out. And it's still, it means like there's a whole lot of knowledge, like keeping your keys safe is really not that easy, even for me. Right. Um, and as a software engineer doing this thing every day, I'm like I'm nervous every time I do something bigger, right? Um, and so, and so the, the sort of the, the early adopters that I think are interested in this stuff and see it and understand it and have the long-term right. focus 
are fintechs. And that's why I think sort of I call console freight a, a fintech. Um, and I think those are the businesses that can take actually this opportunity. Think already about money as a technology that they use yeah. or sort of interface that directly with technology. And so those I think are gonna be the ones that right. start adopting this stuff first. And so for us, they're the multipliers that actually do make sure that the, that the loans originated in DeFi end up in you as US dollars on the business's bank account that needs it. Yeah, totally agree. FinTechs are, are, are gonna be the front edge of, of, uh, of market adoption. Um, well, awesome. Lucas, um, really great to have you on and uh, very excited about the progress you guys are making and uh, you know, look forward to yeah, and and then let's talk about that crypt that the crypto tre or on chain treasury treasury first bank account um, idea. I, I I really am curious to see what. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you guys have have some interesting stuff in in store as well there, right? We're 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 we've got things in the oven. That's good. <laughs> cool to see. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, Lucas, thanks for joining us uh, late at night and uh, safe safe travels. Yeah. Hey, have a good one. Bye bye. Thanks. So a lot of, uh, I think, really powerful um, ideas here on this connection between public blockchains, stable coins as this kind of base layer of money and building block, this programmability, connectivity to these new kind of borrowing and lending platforms that are being built entirely on these blockchains. And then finally, and really most importantly, the, the trade piece of this, the trade finance piece of this is the connecting real world assets, connecting things like invoices that are tied to you know trades that are between you know companies for goods and services this is sort of the last mile of commerce and we're seeing this you know really starting to come into place which is very very exciting so uh yeah, hope you enjoyed the show and we'll look forward to next week and until next time stay well stay safe and stay informed